Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Don't Mock My Accent the show where we work through our lives as expats and everything in between, one day at a time. This podcast is designed by expats for expats. Our goal is to build a community for people living away from their home country, a place they can come to for advice, support, and above all else, a home away from home. A lot of laughs and shenanigans to be expected. In this episode, we speak to my very lovely friend, Jen, who originates from America and has lived the expat life for 30 years in at least six different countries. She tells us her story full of highs and lows and gives us the advice we all wish we had when moving. I do also want to just preface that we did this over Zoom and we had a little bit of trouble with Wi-Fi this week. So just bear with us with the little technical issues that we had. Uh, But I promise you the content is absolutely amazing. So enjoy. This week we have a very special guest. It's one of my very dear friends, Jen, who I met a year and a half ago now, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. And she's agreed to come on the show. Jen is from America, but... You've lived so many different places. You were also like a tour director for Kentucky and Trafalgar. Mm-hmm. And so you've obviously seen a lot of different things. And now you're living in Poland. So we really wanted to get you on the show because I feel like you've just got a different perspective than all the Aussies that we've been talking to. <laughs> so welcome, welcome. The first thing that we'd love to ask you mm-hmm. and I think that all our listeners are always really interested in is your story and your journey. So could you just, yeah, run us through why you moved and your journey from the US all that time ago, mm-hmm. I suppose, to now living in, in Poland? Yeah, definitely. So I've, I've been thinking a lot about um, kind of the reasons why and, you know, trying to figure out, I hate the term origin story, but, you know, kind of <laughs> where it all started from. And I guess the most important kind of catalyst in my life was when I was a kid we moved to Switzerland for my dad's job and I was amazing nine I guess at that time um and my parents before we moved they had like gone through a trial separation and my dad got this job offer so they were like okay we're gonna we're gonna try so off we went and my mom hated it like she just hated it and now that I think about it I'm like okay if I was Moving to a new country, I didn't have a job because she gave up her career. I was with a man. I was like 
about to get divorced from. So I can kind of understand her perspective better now than I did, you know, when I was growing up. Basically, where where in Switzerland was it, Jen? Oh, uh, we were in Zurich. Oh, oh nice. nice. So I went to like this really nice school, and the school system was like totally different there and we didn't start school till like 9 30 in the morning which I thought was great and, like I was I was really happy my dad loved it um he you know he was just doing really well in his career he was really fit and my mom was miserable so we went back my mom and I went back to the states after a year or so um but my dad stayed he was on quite a long contract so in the summers I would go and see my dad and because we weren't in America, he actually had like decent vacation time. So, you know, he could take weeks off work and we would go and do these um, road trips. And I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12 at the time. And this is back in the 90s. So he like, we didn't have Google Maps or anything like that. So he would literally, you know, hand me a map <laughs> and I would be the navigator. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> oh, you from a young age. Oh, yeah, yeah. and I, I never thought about this because I remember like obviously much younger. I was born in the 90s, so it was different. But <laughs> even in like the early 2000s, I remember like being a kid with my mom. I don't know if you had like the Refredexes or like the books. Yeah, have, yeah, we like, had. And you'd be like, hey mom, go up this street. Oh my God. How did you do that? That's crazy. I don't, I don't know. Like it's just, I can't remember if he taught me or if it was just, something I kind of understood how to do intuitively or, or what, but, um, yeah, so we, we took these amazing road trips. Like we went up to, I think we went up to Edinburgh once from Switzerland. Wow. We went to That's Paris. a big drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. And like, I just decided when I was a kid that I was obsessed with Europe. So, um, my dad eventually moved back. Those amazing holidays finished. But all through high school, I was just obsessed with the idea of going back to Europe. So mm. saved all my money. My graduation trip was um, a Kentucky. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, yeah, the right passage. Yes. It's right passage. Jen, can I quickly ask you, where are you from in America? So I was born Originally. in San Diego. And oh, nice. when I was about six, we moved to a town in Alabama, mm -hmm. the Gulf Coast. And that's where my mom still lives. And that's where like most of my childhood was spent. Um, nice. So I, like, I was looking at the hometown question. I was like, I kind of have to. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would consider Alabama, I guess, to be my hometown just because that's somewhere I actually still have family. Like none of my yeah. family. Yeah. And even like you probably grew a lot there as a person. So you have like yeah. fond memories yeah. there. And exactly. yeah, for sure. So and my when mom's story is that when she asked she was like we're leaving switzerland we're going to go back to america you can choose between california and alabama and i chose alabama and i'm like that's not <laughs> true <laughs> literally <laughs> you're like how, how would i do that <laughs> you would have not been a 10 year old child that decision i was just like when did you create this narrative in your head anyway like she likes it there it was a nice place to grow up you know but the whole time I was like, oh, no, this is so boring. So yeah, I went, I went on my Kentucky because I wanted friends to go traveling with me. Like I wanted to go, you know, full on backpacking and no one's parents would let them. And I was the only one that saved any money and all this stuff. So I went on a Kentucky and I was 
like it is a rite of passage, but on that trip, I was the only 18 year old. I was one week out of high school and everyone else was a little bit older and I was so shy. Like I didn't know how to talk to people I hadn't met before because I just knew everyone at my school. Does that make sense? Yeah. Were you like the only American on it as well? Because I know it's like, obviously Um, it's a Kiwi company, but typically it's full of Aussies and Kiwis. Yeah. That is so young to be able to just get up and go. But I guess you've just had a lot of experience already traveling Europe. But it was like, it was hard for me because I had all these, like, I was like that person on the trip where I was like, I don't want to go on these optionals and get drunk. I want to go to the Louvre and, you know. Who are you? (laughs) Yeah. You're like the rare 18 year old on a Kentucky trip that actually wants to like explore, not just get drunk. I know, I know. And again, I know now, totally different. I know. (laughs) It was funny though. During that trip, I... Cause I knew I was I was moving away to go to university and I wasn't going to know anyone and I was like okay this is not working out very well for you like you don't have any friends on this tour <laughs> and then I did another one right after that like I did two back to back and so I was like all right I kind of it was like this social realization that I was like I'm gonna have to come out with Michelle I'm gonna have to be outgoing even if it makes me feel uncomfortable I'm gonna have to participate in everything um so the second one was like a lot better because I just made friends on the first day. So um, I went back, I went to uni. I had like decided even when I was in high school, I wanted to do a semester abroad. Um, And you can do a couple different things. Like you can go into, you know, a fully immersive university and take classes in the local language and whatever. And I didn't do that. I went with 30 other Americans. from my university into a classroom just with them what what uni was it Jen what's that what university was it um University of Southern California oh USC USC baby USC so there were yeah I think there were like 30 of us we all went to Paris but like I I didn't really speak good French so I was in beginning French um I mean it was it was ridiculous like we literally went to British pubs and (laughs) didn't do anything Parisian um I I loved it because we had access to the art museums before they opened to the public so you would go um every Wednesday morning galleries would be completely empty and we would have our lectures in front of like Monet paintings and stuff so that was you know, that was the reason I, I wanted to go. And I'm so angry at myself because we had such amazing instruction and there was such a great opportunity to learn about history. And I was not interested. Like, I just wanted to hang out with my friends. So much mm. more concerned you about You can't myself. blame yourself for that at the same time. You were so young then. And it's like, yeah. I, I kind of feel a similar way. Like, I know I'm only 25, but when I was doing all my traveling, when I was like 21, I was like, I just mm. want to go and get drunk or yeah. just learn about party around. Thing. Yeah, exactly. I definitely would have benefited from a gap year or two before I started uni or even like, I mean, it's kind of what I did when I moved to, to London, I guess, but it's not, it's not part of the culture in mm. America at all. Like, it's not a wow. thing. I mean, I guess people could, there must be a way to defer university for a year, but normally you're still on your parents' health insurance and yeah. you have to be enrolled in full-time education to be insured. And, you know, it's, 
Wow. Anyway, I like I didn't waste the opportunity in Paris, but I wish I had been a bit more mature when I yeah. Been, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did you um make any French friends when you were there, or did you literally no. just have any old American <laughs> friends? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I mean, the only French things I did, like I had to go to the doctor once, and I had to change a plane ticket, and like, that was that was it. After three months, I can just months. imagine these Parisians seeing this group of like Americans walking by, and then it's like absolutely not. <laughs> it's so gross. And now, like when I was traveling around, I would see those groups of Americans, and oh, I was God. like. What? <laughs> but I mean, like a run away from those <laughs> yeah that was that was me but you know what it was also I was I was 20 and it was yeah it was the first time it I mean this makes it even more lame but like it was also the first time that we could go out to bars because none of us were 21 yet yeah so in America we couldn't even have that experience of going out I also spent that time like we had a long spring break we went your railing I went your railing you know when the semester finished and you know I was just determined I had another year I guess at university mm. um, when I got back and I was I was planning to finish early and go on another semester abroad program and then I kind of was like no I want to graduate with my classmates and I'll I'll go afterward so I you know I just had this idea in my mind that I was going to go traveling or like move and my mother was furious like I'd just been to this expensive university and she was like you need to get a job I didn't know what I wanted to do and my dad like my dad had always traveled throughout his career um <clears throat> he worked for like an aerospace company so he you know that was always something that was really important to him and you know a huge part of his life and identity so he was like I'm just gonna give you money for a plane ticket travel is never a waste of your time so off I went amazing to that's the type of parents you need. You just need those yeah. parents who are just like, just, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he did. So, I mean, every, I think everything that's kind of happened since I always thank him for it because he was, you know, really supporting me at a time. I mean, was it a good idea to go with a bunch of student debt at the age of 22 to a new country with no job? Like he was bankrolling me. So whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he he wanted me to go and have you know have that experience so off I went um I had two friends in London I had two friends from uni that were studying and aside from that I didn't know anybody I didn't have a plan I didn't have a job and usually when Americans go somewhere it's through their work so a lot of times yeah. they'll be working for an international company and they'll be like in banking or something like that so they'll go over with a relocation package and you know a job that pays really well and I did not sponsored I was just gonna say <clears throat> is that a lot of that is that is that because it's like it's harder to get a visa for Americans because obviously we know yeah. as Australians and even Canadians it's really easy for us yeah but I think that's definitely like? part of it so I got a visa that doesn't I don't think it exists anymore and basically like you could get a six-month visa right. if you had just finished full-time university oh yes I think they're bringing this back right. actually Jen I read that they're bringing this back I think in a couple of months time it's like a graduate scheme yeah it's like as soon as you graduate you, I think, you can get yeah I think I've heard Australians can do that for America I've heard like if okay. it's like the year after, after you yeah. graduate or something you can do this like thing so for me it was fine because I had no ambitions whatsoever um but it doesn't <laughs> but for someone who wants to 
get a career started, it doesn't make any sense to do that because no one's going to hire you if you can only work for six months. Yeah. So, I mean, I was quite limited in terms of, I mean, probably even more so than people who come on a working holiday visa because it's only six months. For sure. Yeah. 100%. So it, you know, it's pub work. Um, I did like a kid's play class type thing, mm. you know, and, but that wasn't, I wasn't there for working. I was there, like, it was just a, a means to an end, really. Exactly. Yeah. You're there so, for the adventure. Yeah. So I moved in. I was lucky. I moved in. Um, I met these people through like a forum back in the day um and they were a massive house share of like i think there was one person was still studying um the rest of them were like a group of friends they had a spare bedroom i moved in with them they were all english and honestly i was so lucky because they like i don't i've never had housemates like this since then where they just invited me to everything they brought me into their social circle dream wow that is so i feel like that is so difficult these days i mean like it's so hard because i think people who are from here make friends at school and uni and often they just sort of stick to that group and you really have to break down the barrier with them and eventually like you do get in there if you can but it takes it's hard so it's so good that they were just so welcoming of you and they were just like yeah come to our stuff yeah it's weird too because they are a relatively closed group of people to be honest um so the fact that I somehow weaseled my way in there like I don't know I don't know how I think the reason it it was four boys and only one other girl and so I think the girl was like yes. happy boys to have are, me yeah <laughs> and the boys are probably just like doesn't give a shit but it's like the girl friendship yeah. groups that are just like no we're not inviting anyone yeah yeah exactly and um I made the like stupid decision of landing in I guess it must have been Probably, probably like I had to go on that date or something for my visa, but like I landed on the 30th of December in London. Oh my God. Jesus. How did you even get on the train at that point? It was, I went in a black cab from Heathrow. Like, oh, we all did that. I remember I got a black cab from Heathrow. I don't think I've ever got a black cab since that day. It was probably like a tenth of my money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, and my mom was like, she was so funny. She was like, you haven't even, you know, you don't know these people. What if you get sold into white slavery? And I was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> um, apparently, apparently it is a thing, but I didn't. And they were, yeah, they were really nice. And they, they were like all about a year older than I was. So they were, you know, they were kind of doing similar things. They were you know, fresh out of uni, they were just kind of doing jobs, you know, but it wasn't, they weren't particularly career orientated. And how Uh, old were you at this point, Jen? uh, 22. So yeah, I mean, the idea was kind of, I would stay for six months and then I would go back. But I mean, you, you know what London's like. (laughs) The first, like, the first six months are just so disorientating. Yeah. you don't settle in for a year. It took me one year to be like, okay, I feel at home now. Yeah. So, I mean, the first, I can remember those first few weeks. I, like, I, I, even though my friend mates, flatmates were really friendly, like, I, I think I was back to that 18 year old where I felt quite shy and I wasn't sure. And I, you know, I kind of felt like I wanted to give up and I can't remember what, what changed. It just, 
you know, I probably had a good night out with them where I felt comfortable or, you know, something, something along those lines. But I can remember um, like going to job interviews and people would leave me a voicemail and I couldn't understand the phone number that they were leaving and I couldn't understand the name of the tube station. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Oh <laughs> we have all been there. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, it just kind of all, it all settled a bit. And then, you know, I guess after a couple months, I was like, oh, crap, I really want to stay. How am I going to be able to stay? Because six months is not, it's not long. It's um, not a long time. And yeah, so the only, the only real reason, the only real way I could extend my visa was to study. So I stayed and did a master's degree. And again, it was just kind of means to an end. That sounds really bad, but... <laughs> But it's like, it's, it's what you do to survive. Like it, it, it's similar to, for example, I mean, I'm going to compare it to the pandemic in this way for me personally, but like I could have easily thrown in the towel and just gone, no, I have to go back mm -hmm. to Australia. But I, I, I got made redundant. I had to find another job and I just, it was yeah. a case of, I just need to do this to survive. Completely yeah. understand where you're coming from with that. Sure. Well, and the thing is, I think if I'd gone back to the States at that point, I would have done a master's degree anyway. So it wasn't really... You know, it's yeah. not like I had a job lined up as a lawyer and I was hmm. doing this other thing instead. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any plans anyway. So yeah, yeah I was like, it's like something you're going to do. You might as well do it in like a country mm -hmm. you want to live in. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it opens a lot of doors. I've got friends now who never did university and there are so many countries they just like can't get visas for. Yeah, because they don't have that piece of paper. So I'm I'm glad I did it. I have absolutely no regrets. It you know like it's all led to where I am now, and it's you know it's part of my life. But it's not like I was like, oh my god, I'm so interested in gender studies, which is what I did. I was like, this degree accepted me in London. <laughs> the timings of the classes mean that I can work, whatever. I mean that was that was as much as there was to it. So. Um, also, before that point, before I started studying, I started dating one of the boys in the house. Standard. I was going to say, ooh, <laughs> shit, yeah. here we go. Oh, yeah, shit. She, she shit. She, what is she, what is this expression? It's like she shat where she ate or whatever. <laughs> yeah, don't shit where you eat. <laughs> don't shit where you, where you eat. <laughs> and I was seriously so sassy to him. Like, I think we, like, kissed once. And then he was like, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, you we live together for friends and I was like I'm going back to America for a week you have a week to think about this <laughs> and off I went and I came back and I was like what's your decision I've never been like that with men since then but he was like yeah, I think so yeah we were you know we were together for long time after that I feel like it's such um, a benefit of being an expert you can use your like living in your other country as just like an excuse to get people moving on a bit more <laughs> just to be like look I've got limited time here you've got to like sort your shit out so yeah I studied um after that I was able because I because I had met Andy as a flatmate um if you ever do a partnership visa you have to have like electricity bills it's just electricity bills. That's all they care about. Going to the same address. <laughs> so Andy had most of his correspondence going to his parents' house <laughs> because he was 23. Um, so we were like scrounging to get these bills together. And we were like, should I pretend that like Matt, who also lived in the house, is my partner because he has more bills <laughs> because he's on the electricity bill? 
Um, eventually, I don't know, we, we got all the paperwork together. And then, yeah, I started working in international education. I did that for a long time. So, um, you know, helping students come between the US and the UK to study for a year and actually do not the type of program that I did with the kind of immersive programs where they were going directly into universities. But it's still the same. You know, they, they like they did make Irish and English friends, but they also hung out with all the Erasmus students from Europe and the Australians. Yeah. This is what we so, say a lot. We say that like I think we said this in our last episode or something. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I say it all the time. But it's it's funny how when you come here you expect to meet people and like be best friends with English people or whoever yeah. and you actually end up getting drawn to the people from where you're from because it's just like that sense of comfort isn't it like when you're yeah. in a place that's like very uncomfortable you're you're, you're drawn to those people mm-hmm. and I sure get that um just a quick one to go back just just for mm. one second where yeah, in course. London did you live where was this house oh okay so the first house was in Archway so North oh, London. Interesting. North London. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm so not in North Who's London. she? <laughs> yeah, we like, we always like North London. Who's she? <laughs> I know. And now I'm like, North London, what? Like, <laughs> so the first place was an archway, and then we moved to Highgate, which is like, oh, God. North London, yeah. It's just up, like, literally up the hill. Yeah, like, yeah. Half a mile away. But at that point, I loved it because coming from Los Angeles, where I'd been at, university it's so green and it's got mm. really traditional english pubs and because yeah. it was winter you know there were like fireplaces and you know like it, it's beautiful and like my house was all really weird especially my boyfriend he was really weird about south london <laughs> yeah but that's the it's a thing though like don't think that's an odd thing it is a thing a because thing. it's like look at us uh blair north london we're literally the perfect yeah. example but i mean we would the only time we would go to south london was to brixton to go to gigs and like i think brixton you know this is like the early 2000s like i used to live mm. in brixton and it, like brixton is what it is but i think at that point it was probably like really shit yeah. Um, but Andy was like, there's no tube because of the socioeconomic problems <laughs> in South London. And it was like, no, there's no tube because it's the ground is chalk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like you can't it put it support, like it'll just collapse. But so I was always like, I, you know, thought it was horrible. And then we lived in, Andy and I lived in Highbury for a while nice. as well. That was really fun. Like we lived right by Highbury Station. So. I worked in Russell Square. I would walk to work every day. Nice. Um, but yeah, that was that was my North London life. <laughs> Love that. Okay, perfect. I wanted to get that because I think that's also like another question that people want to know before they move mm-hmm. or like if they're thinking of living in a different part of London. Yeah. And you know what? Like for, for the stuff that for the stuff that, that group of friends was interested in, those guys were in a band and they played at a lot of pubs, you know, in that area. We went to so many gigs that were in that area. So, I mean, it, mm. it, like, for that part of my life, it made sense. Um, yeah. And, like, my best friend that had also moved over, she lived around the corner from us. And everybody, like, and everyone said, like, oh, you love, you know, you love North London until a certain point. Mm. And then everybody goes south after that. I was like, I'll never move to South London. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I was working for the University of California. Okay. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, okay. I mean, looking at like a satellite campus, 
and it was, you know, it was like a nice job. Like I, I got to travel around the UK a little bit. I got to go to Ireland. I had a colleague up in, in Scotland that I became quite good friends with because we like, we had bosses, but they were on secondment from America. They didn't care right. what we did. So I'd be like, I have to organize a business trip to go see Hillary. <laughs> and I would just go up for the Fringe Festival and get some files from her, you know, like. Love we, that. Yeah. Um, and I had this massive budget. I was able to uh, make orientation programs for the students when they came over. So I was like, right, what theater have I not seen? <laughs> nice. I'm interested in. <laughs> Easy to that I could get, you know, 18 tickets for. Um, so I got to like, it was, I mean, it was amazing for them. Don't think I was taking advantage, but you know, I was like, because I wanted them to do things that I thought local people would want to go and do, mm. not just things that you would do on a college orientation that was yeah. really yeah. Americanized. And then I realized, because I did that for about three years, and I realized that I, because I became quite good friends with, with some of them, and I was like, and these were all serious students. They were, you know, now they have grown up to become neurosurgeons. And, mm. you know. Like it was like their opportunity in university to try something different, so they did it. Yeah, like, because they I knew they were like, going to be stuck at studying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, let's get pissed now because we're not going to be able to do it for the next seven yeah. years. <laughs> Literally. Like, you're actually you becoming a neurosurgeon. It's like, <laughs> You don't need to go to your classes on Fridays. You should just go traveling. <laughs> so I realized that like I wasn't that concerned about their academic development. I was yeah. more concerned about um, them experiencing the culture of Europe. But like I think a lot of people when they move overseas like I'm sure they um, or like when they're studying abroad mm -hmm. like there is that thing of like they want they obviously need to study but I think it's also important to remind them that like you're not just there to study like you need yeah. to make the most this is like the only time you have to do this you've just got to take full advantage of it. But I think for, for a lot of those people, they probably haven't been back, mm, you know? Yeah. Like, they've been back for, you know, I, like my friends that I studied with, you know, one of them came and she did a year of her PhD in Paris and she worked for the um, state office and, you know, they have had a lot of international experience, but in terms of having a weekend in Prague, you know, that's not yeah. something yeah. that is, it's not easy from states. Of course, it's not easy from, from Australia. So, mm. yeah, I was yeah. definitely like, <clears throat> pushing them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, because I guess in the States, like, it, the, the idea of holiday and, like, annual leave is just yeah. non-existent. So, mm -hmm. I guess, and, and I think, too, thinking about that, when you do pe see people from the States holidaying in places like the UK and, and whatnot, I think even though people do get very annoyed with American tourists, I think we have to actually remember that they only get, what, seven days of holiday yeah. a year, if that. And for them, it's like the most exciting thing ever. Or they retire or yeah. whatever mm -hmm. it is. Like they so, just want to make the most of it in such a short amount of yeah. time. Yeah, and I think like it's important. One of my friends came over. Yeah, one of my friends came over with her husband like two summers ago, I guess. And she's a lawyer <laughs> this is just you know Alyssa but she literally sent me like her schedule and they were just in London on a city break but you know she had she had a schedule for every single day they were there yeah. so and I mean of course you need to book restaurants and 
tickets and stuff like yeah. that makes sense but everything was scheduled and I was just like it's great that she utilized all the time that she had and, and everything but I was also like it's so sad that you, you don't feel like you can go on a holiday and just relax yeah chill you know like yeah. go for a walk around the city or something yeah yeah exactly yeah I I kind of had always had Kentucky at the back of my mind I think because I'd done another one after university and I always thought it would be really amazing to travel full-time for work um but you know I was I was in London I was you know I was studying so I did another master's degree after like the first one um and I did that part-time so that was two years I was like still going out with my boyfriend at that point and then I finished studying Andy and I broke up um I got this awful new boss at my job and she was crazy and I hated her and she hated me so that was obviously like not going to be sustainable I really thought about going back to California at that point like I kind of seriously looked into it and it was 2008 at that point so it's when the um stock market global crash happened Mm -hmm. so my brother was like honestly there are no jobs here like wow don't don't do it and he's like you can't live on my couch forever and there's no jobs so I looked at Kentucky again like a little bit more seriously and yeah I put in my application and I applied in August they they normally run two training trips so I was initially supposed to go in in February to start my training and it was hilarious because I'd gotten in this massive argument with my boss like we were screaming at each other and I was like none of this matters I'm quitting anyway and then I was like I'm going upstairs to write to human resources and make this official and there was an email from Kentucky saying because of the economy and everything they could only run one training trip (laughs) and mine was going to be pushed back a month no, no. no. Typical Gen fashion. This is in totally. typical fashion. Totally. And then she, but she was. It was hilarious. I held all the cards because she was like, "When are you writing your letter?" And I was like, "When I feel like it." Because she couldn't force me to resign. <laughs> so for a month, I was like, "I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So that was. It was a disappointing end to what had been a really good job, but. We just weren't, we weren't compatible. Anyway, off I went to Kentucky. And yeah, so I guess I kind of like, I kind of split my London life into two parts. And one is kind of like pre-Kentucky and then one is post-Kentucky. So I like gave up my flat, off I went. Um, We trained for 10 weeks. Finally, I got to meet, you know, all these amazing people from Australia and New Zealand. Love. (laughs) <laughs> I known a few like I had known a few in London from different jobs and stuff but it was the first time that it was really you know like big group of people yeah um and then yeah I I worked on the road with Kentucky and then Trafalgar for about nine eight or nine years wow altogether. that's such that's a long so time cool. yeah what was your like um because the last guest we had on the show was our friend Callum and he mm. worked for Boss About Oh, um, nice. as, a, as a guide, but obviously not as long. And uh, yeah. the, he, he ended up going to Southeast Asia to guide and then mm-hmm. the pandemic sent him back to Australia. So we mm-hmm. asked him this question and it was like, can you, and I'm sure you have a lot, but 
Can you think of one time where it just went all wrong for you when you were a tour leader? That is quite a funny story or just like one time where you were like, oh my God. Like, oh god I mean ridiculous. most of the time it was, it was great like to be honest like I did it was exhausting but I loved it like it was so much fun mm. there was just this group of guys there were I don't know eight or ten of them or something you know that were traveling as a group lads trip lads trip and like we had a, a drug problem on that trip and that was I know I didn't really have that often and like I was talking to my boss because we all knew it um, and a lot of the other people felt really uncomfortable. And my boss was kind of like, there's nothing you can do. Like, you can't search their stuff. And I was like, I get that. But they're doing it in the campsite toilet. <laughs> like, we all, yeah. you know, I was like, one of the, like, the guy that owns this pub, his friends who are here are cops. Like, we could put an end to this right now. And she was like, no, you can't do anything about it. And I was like, Kristen, you can convince people who don't drink. That the alcohol culture on Kentucky is okay. You cannot convince people that a drug culture yeah, is, okay. is okay. And we're kind of saying that we support a drug culture. Mm. So Especially just, when you have like, it could ruin like relationships with those other, like with the, I guess the providers vendors. or whatever that like the vendors that you're yeah. like dealing with for like the accommodation and everything. Like it's a big deal. And I was, you know, and it was also, I was just like, I've got, you know, we've got these 10 dickheads and then we've got 35 other people who are never, ever going to travel with any of our brands again because we didn't take a hard stance on this. And I was like, we only need to get rid of one of them and then the rest of them will fall into line. So this was going on and on and on. It was like a month long trip. We got to Florence and one of them glassed somebody at a club. And obviously the police came. And was it at the Red Garda? This was at Space Discotheque. Oh, Space <laughs> Discotheque. Love that. So the police came and this guy was like, well, you need to sort this out for me. And I was like, you assaulted someone. Oh my God. <laughs> like, what do you think yeah. I can do? Like you are now in legal trouble. I can't do anything. And were they kicked off the tour at all? So I was really? like, he'll never be seen again. I was like, that's it. He's, he's never <laughs> to be seen again. Don't oh care. Oh my no. God. Um, the police let it. And I was like, and to the police, I was like, and he's got drugs. So if you could sort that out. Deal while with that. Him, yeah. Please do. Um, the next morning he was just back. Like they didn't press charges or anything. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, but after that, honestly, they were like silent and so behaved. <laughs> Like, were you silent or silent? Because I think they finally realized that, you know, and the guy said to me, he was like, oh, you're just this American princess. You don't know how the real world works. And I was like, don't tell me for a second that you can go around Australia glassing people and that there isn't a repercussion to that. I was like, I'm not having any of it. And after that, they were fine. Yeah. And I think like when you're traveling in Europe, like I've done a Kentucky and I've done a top Mm -hmm. deck. And I think when you're, you're in a bubble, when you do those Mm. things and it's like, nothing can hurt me. And I'm just in this, yeah, this, this world, this unrealistic world. And as soon as something like that happens where it's like real life police and things like that, it's like, oh shit actually mm-hmm. yeah that can happen wow i can't believe that especially yeah. these kids on kentucky as well because they're just like they think they're so invincible because they a they're so young b it's like their first big trip overseas yeah and then they're just like well we're here to party like it's like that reputation of it that they're just and like it, we're here to party this is what we're like we can it's do this. really unusual to get those 
big groups of boys that want to come and fight. Like that yeah. was really, really rare. But there are groups of guys like that mm. in Australia and in England. <laughs> and oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, occasionally so they're all going to decide to go on a trip together, and that's yeah. just that's what they do for entertainment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure so, like your experience in that and having done it for nine years, like you would have had the tools to use to be able to deal with that and money more. Like the other day you were saying you used to be at the airport to pick up people for like the Trafalgar <laughs> tours and they used to just scream at you as soon yeah. as they got off the flight and you're like, cool, oh this God. is fun. How um, did you have the momentum or the energy to like continue it for so oh, long? Because it is such a draining, like I imagine it's just such a draining job, like based on what our friend Callum yeah. said and like what your experience was. I was thinking like, about this the other day. I'm like, I did, I loved it, but um, oh now I don't have any stress in my life and I sleep so well <laughs> I feel like you're the most independent chill person like in terms of but like yeah, was just I was I was thinking about this because you were like I I am someone who I think I have quite endless reserves of energy yes but, I can vouch for that <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the season um because you were out I mean I I would go weeks probably not sleeping more than three or four hours a night Wow. And I was a basket case, you know, because I was yeah. always hungover. I was always underslept. Um, you know, I was in a very high pressure situation all the time. So I don't think that my, like, my mental health wasn't in, you know, a very good place. There were times that I would just be in floods of tears and people yeah. were like, I don't know what you're crying. <laughs> Did you have <laughs> many breaks? Really... <laughs> Did you have many breaks, like, within the year of, like, touring? It just depended. Tours? Like, right. one year I went 100 days straight without Jesus and then I mean the flip side was that you like especially once you started working for Trafalgar you would get your winters off but then it was that's not really a good balance either like when I was deciding to leave Trafalgar you know like because it was it paid really well I did have my winters off I could go back to California and spend the winter there with my family but one of my friends said you know because I was asking different people about why they left that side of the industry Mm. And my friend Mike was like, because when, then when you are in the off season, that's like being unemployed. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're not getting either. compensated for that. Yeah. Because it's not like you can take working a hundred days in a row. That doesn't offset than not working a hundred days in a row. Like those things yeah. don't balance out. Neither of them are good. Yeah. Because then I would have all this time off. But I would stay up until six o'clock in the morning watching Netflix. And then I would sleep until mm. three o'clock in the afternoon every day because I didn't have a routine that I needed to yeah. adapt to. So um yeah, I'm I'm better off not doing yeah. that. It sounds <laughs> yeah, like sure. really lots of like ups and downs, but obviously it would have been amazing at the same yeah. time. And I can when- remember towards the end of the season, like if you could take a, a nap for 10 minutes. That would be amazing. I would never sleep for 10 minutes now. Like, I would yeah. never take a nap for less than three hours. But even 10 can... minutes, it would be like, oh, amazing. And I can, I can remember towards the end of the season, I would dream every single night about being tired. Wow. Oh and I'm like, just sleep right now. Just uh, You must have like, such a nice contrast in your life now of like that and and the like how you live your life now with a more relaxing time yeah. and sort of I think you would definitely be able to appreciate it more and have more gratitude mm-hmm. around that for sure. When you are on the road, obviously 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're on the road for nine years. Mm-hmm. You can only really take like one bag of stuff with you. What is your advice for packing and what is like an essential item that you would take with you everywhere that might be out of the blue that people might not think about? Oh, Probably a power cord, like an extension cord. That's probably oh, that's a, good a good one. one. Yeah, that, especially like if you have any kind of work that you need to get done or if you have more than one device <laughs> that you want to charge. Because a lot of hotels will only have one outlet. Yeah. Um, and you can even yeah, plug that, it into your adapter and then plug mm-hmm. it into the wall and then you've got like the whole set of... Exactly. And then yes, you want to take adapter. out traveling. Yeah, and exactly. Everything else, you can just use the normal plug into the power cords. So that would probably yeah. be the one, the one thing that I think is definitely worth having. Um, the rest of it, I'm such a light packer. My advice would be, don't bring it. You don't need it. Like, just do laundry. Yes. Do more laundry. Um, yeah. Now, like, I can remember when I did Kentucky training. I had a lot of stuff with me and like a lot of books again because it was pre it's 2009 but even then you didn't really have smartphones or yeah electronic ways like kindle hadn't come out yet which was so sad for us i mean i did have a lot of like i had a box of like books to do research kill me but um wow. I, I can't <laughs> even think I, I know that i obviously lived through that period of time and i was at school during that time that you would have been yeah. studying all that history and learning it but like I remember at that time um, in at our school, they had like the big chunky computers and that's when we were using it to yeah. do school. So I can imagine you on the road. Really? Not, you obviously yeah. can't take that. No iPads. Like, no internet iPhones. cafes. Yeah. <laughs> we still iPhone. have to use internet cafes on training. Yeah. Oh my God. And even, even after that, like if we wanted to print something, we still had to fax things. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> the first crazy. like two years. Um, and like, I know 2008 was around the time the first iPhone came out. I think it was around that time. Mm-hmm. 
maybe a I little got a bit smartphone, like, I think my third year I, I had a smartphone and then wow. it was like, but even like then there weren't, you know, like we had smartphones, but there still weren't all the apps and yeah, no, yeah. You know, so and even like the developed. and even like the data limits or like the Wi-Fi access yeah, and stuff yeah. as well, like it's completely different. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember what was the situation with roaming. I think I just paid a lot of money for roaming. Jesus, yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't remember. Um, but wow. uh, yeah, Pathlight is my main thing. Like I, I now I have a backpack. I know I've seen this backpack when Jen <laughs> did it. I can't remember where you went, but you went for like four days when we were working together in well 2019 start of 2020 um and you you came with this backpack and I was like what's that I was like is that your carry-on you're like yeah this is all I'm taking and I was like what is wrong with you how do you do this and she was like I've got this I've got this I was like oh my god but also so twice when I was doing tours oh my god this I think it was when I went to Trafalgar this is when I because I I like I had like a quite a small suitcase I had a really good system with packing and then I was waiting for a taxi one morning I took my suitcase downstairs I went back up to get the rest of my stuff came down suitcase was gone (gasps) oh no and I was like did it roll away See, I feel like valuable. this is my anxiety, Jen, because I, I literally think, I see people do this all the time and I think to myself, all right, next time I need to do that because it's just going to make life so much easier. But the anxiety mm-hmm. in my brain is like, someone is going to steal that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, they won't. No, they won't. Well, you've just proven to me that this it can happen. East Dulwich at 4.30 in the morning on a residential oh, street. East Dulwich. Oh. Why does Dulwich always That's come why it's East podcast? Dulwich. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow. gone I was fuming and I was like wow. well I have to I had to fly to Russia like right then like I was I luckily luckily thank god my money and my laptop and oh yeah all my important stuff was not packed away it was like on my person so I mean it was oh thank god it was like my clothes and I think my wi-fi router for the coach but nothing that was of monetary value yeah that's actually surprising to me jen because in the time that i knew you i think you lost your passport at least three or four times and that's why like you're so bad with your passport it's because i had to be so careful for so long you know because i would have like 30 grand in cash yeah for the trips (laughs) and i had to be so careful i was responsible for not just my things but like other people's things yeah when i finished i was like fuck it whatever (laughs) i don't care about me oh wow that's amazing Jen I feel like you would have so many different stories of things that have happened in those nine years I can't even imagine the kinds of experiences that you would have had compared to what anybody in their life would have had um but after you sort of left the industry Mm -hmm. of of touring what what did you get into then I feel like this is where our story almost ends up yeah yeah definitely so I'd um I'd done like after one of my summers when I was doing Kentucky I spent a year in Perth a summer rather in Perth and um so I knew I knew a lot about flight center through people on the road a lot of my ex-colleagues like when I was living in Perth etc I don't feel like I really knew it that well from being in London but I knew it through all of my like so, Australian contacts. wait so you lived in Perth mm-hmm. okay so you've lived I didn't oh. know you lived in Australia yeah. wait well, maybe you don't tell me that or so but yeah oh, I did, okay I did a working holiday with the airport oh wow why did you go to Perth out of curiosity um, out of everywhere else in Australia you can go to I think that my closest friends were from Perth 
Gotcha. And so I think it was the place where I was going to be able to kind of settle in with a friend group the most easily. Yeah. Got and it. I can remember we were we were in Prague, we were at this bar, and there was a screen, like a TV screen, and they were showing all these images of like white sand beaches. And the, the person that I was there with was like, that's exactly what Perth looked like. And I was like, stop it. It was a, it was a picture of like Tahiti or, you know, something. And he's like, no, that's yeah. what the beaches are like. And I was like, well, I'm going to come there then. <laughs> yeah, of course. Why not? Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, that makes sense. When yeah. And Australia. Was, I mean, honestly, like, I'm really glad that I went there. Because again, and I knew it wasn't going to be a long time because I'd had the experience of going to London. And how overwhelming that was to try to settle in. I thought, I don't need to go to Sydney. It's going to be the same, you know. um, And I heard the weather in Melbourne was like shit. So I thought, I just, yeah, I'll go there. And it was, um, yeah, it was amazing. Moving to Australia, how did you find that transition from being in the US and being in the UK Mm -hmm. to then a country that Lauren and I and most listeners of ours are from? Yeah, so I guess the thing that was the most surprising to me, there were a couple of things, um, because I'd previously, so I went the summer after I'd been with these, like, people that got arrested, <laughs> who convinced me that, you know, it was this lawless society where you could Lord. glass people in the street, it didn't matter. <laughs> And the other thing on these tours is people would complain so much about the cost of, like, alcohol. So I thought that it was going to be so cheap, so casual, you could go and fight, you know. (laughs) And then the first beer I had was in like a posh northern Perth suburb at a marina. And it was like a $14 beer. And I was like, (laughs) and then I realized that's normal. (laughs) And that you have to wear closed-toed shoes after four o'clock in the afternoon. Like, it's not, I don't know where these people came from. Like, I don't know. I don't think they'd ever been out in society. (laughs) Brisbane. (laughs) But it is so true, though, like, you say that, because I think, like, Australians are so known for being so laid back, but, like, our society in itself is very, like, regulated. Like, Australia as a country is very regulated. So it is quite funny how, like, our persona of, like, laid back and chill has come from this very regulated society they wanted to wear a singlet to moulin rouge and i was like no you can't i know kick off about it and then i was like you can't even wear a singlet to the pub and i think 40 degrees outside and you can't wear a singlet (laughs) at four in the afternoon like with closed toed shoes (laughs) i know well i also think that australia is still a very traditional country i don't Mm -hmm. think i mean i think it is progressive but it is like a few years behind places like london and the us and all that kind of thing so i think like it is very traditional and also i really think it depends what part of australia you're in um because it's such a big country Perth is pretty um conservative yeah yeah it would be yeah and I, I think the other thing I was surprised about, again, having seen the way people behaved on, on tour, and I, I think part of it is just that people are young, in, and, like, it's probably the first time when they come on tour that they've gone out and gotten absolutely annihilated, because people would, everyone would be like, I got my drink spiked, and I was like, no, you didn't, you just drank Drink too, too much. much. <laughs> like, did you see how much alcohol was put in that? gin and tonic yeah and because like in yeah. europe they do like free pouring yeah, and free you don't pouring. and no one tells you that before no, you move no and i and think so. especially in australia because it's very much like we have like the full-on like 
you know, responsible serving of alcohol. Yeah. And we've got yeah. like literally measuring out the pores like yeah, exactly absolutely. to like, like the, the whole thing. Yeah. And a beer is, it's a small serve. So I, yeah. that, was, that was really surprising to me because I worked at a, like a hotel with a bar. So I had to do the, the RSA. And I was like, this is serious. And it was like, you had to kick someone out if they seemed to be slurring yeah <laughs> and oh, i can yeah. remember i can remember like ordering drinks and being refused service but i was like this is just what i sound like you're being that's, discriminatory towards yes. that's and why like, like it was such a that's why like our whole culture especially going out in australia it was literally like if your friend was too drunk you'd have to give them like a pep talk and be like you are not drunk yeah, like no. you are not <laughs> drunk <laughs> sober me. the fuck up and, like just for this like five minutes sober up sober up and, like pep so talk bad. yourself and then you're just like i am not drunk <laughs> Walk in. <laughs> that was, I think that was surprising to me just compared to how people had like behaved in Europe. Mm. <laughs> um, but in terms of settling in, it was, yeah, it was really easy. I had a friend that I stayed with till I got a flat and my flat was amazing. I basically took the second flat. I looked at, it was beautiful. It was at the beach. You could see the, you know, the ocean from every room in the house because it had a wraparound porch. Um, nice. I... It was the same problem I had when I moved to London, which was that my visa was only for six months. Mm -hmm. So you could really only do hospitality. I worked at a hotel. I did the breakfast shift. So I worked from seven till three. The rest of the day, I could do what I wanted. Um, and I really wanted to stay. Um, but it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is in Australia. It's really tricky. Yeah. And how long ago was this now? Um, about 10 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. And having done all of the stuff to become like a British resident and then citizen, yeah. I was like, I'm not, I, I can't go through all of this again. No, I'm going through a visa <laughs> thing at the moment. And it's honestly, it is the, the most stressful experience ever. Yeah. So after Australia, so what, what did you do after that? So I just went back and was like, Kentucky, Kentucky, Trafalgar, Trafalgar. And then eventually oh, so I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't have yeah. people yelling at me at the airport. I'm, I can't mm. keep missing people's birthdays, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I thought, I'm just going to, I'm going to see what's next. I'll, I'll apply for Flight Center. And we, we always kind of joke about Flight Center. We called it the Kentucky Graveyard. <laughs> 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 and I was like, you know what, let's, let's just... Let's see, I'll apply. They brought me in, in for an interview. Um, I had such a good time at the recruitment day and they gave us pizza <laughs> at lunch. And I was like, I'm sold. I was like, Love that. pizza used to be like what we got at a Christmas party. And I was like, I don't even work here and you're giving me pizza. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I was there for, I guess, nearly four years until the pandemic. And that's where oh. I met Anna. Yes, that's where we met. We were like the bloody hooligans of the office, weren't we, Jen? We were so yeah. loud and they always told us to shut up and we just never did. And we would go out for like lunchtime walks. And, yeah, but um, I, I loved it. Um, I loved the culture because I was, you know, it was, it was such a big lifestyle shift for me. Mm. Um, I was a bit worried about coming off the road and if it was going to be easy to, because a lot of my friendships did change while I was working yeah. on the road because I wasn't there and you know a lot of like I think London is a very transient place so a lot of people even if they had been in London for like 10-15 years they had moved to other parts of the UK they had mm. moved 
back overseas, et cetera. So I was in some ways like kind of starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I was a bit worried about making friends and stuff like that, but it was super easy. Like the company's great for that because you meet so many new people all the time. And then the panini hit. The panini. The panini. Yes, I like that. Um, Panoramic. That was, that was tough time, you know. Like I, I got furloughed quite early, but um, mm. I know Jen, you sort of stayed on. And for that one week where all those flights were landed, I was still working. Then I think it was honestly the worst week of one yeah. of the worst weeks of my life. Like having to deal with poor people who got stranded here mm. on that first week, like. And who knew that that a year later it would still be? I know. It would still be the same. But through that, I mean, you sort of have come out on the other side in a way. Um, do you want to sort of talk us through after yeah, dealing well, I think, with that? I think I decided quite early on. So it was interesting to see because, Anna, I think you also made a decision just to get out fairly early on. I remember talking to you about this. And, mm. and what, because I got furloughed for a bit and I was like, right, so what, what's my plan? What am I going to do? Um, I did a tuple which I wish I'd done a long, long time ago. Like I'd always said I would with all this downtime that I had in between like my seasons on the road. I wish I'd done it 10 years ago. Um, but I finally did. And I was just looking through the paper for jobs and there were jobs teaching English in China. And I was like, okay, this is, this is plan Z. <laughs> At <laughs> this point. Plan Z. <laughs> plan Z. Plan, I don't know what Doomsday plan. plan. <laughs> I think plan A was like, maybe staying in flight center. I don't know what plan A was at that point, but um, I was like, this is plan Z. And then I thought about it and I was like, why not? Yeah. I was like, nothing's going to be going on in London. Like the weddings are all canceled. The pub is shut. There's no festivals. You know, I was like, if I take, it's a you know, 15 month contract. I was like, if I take a year out now, I'm not really going to be missing out on anything. No. And yeah. Um, you know, I was like, cause I'm, I was 40 at that point. I was like, I'm at an age where if I'm going to start a new career, I need to do it now because the older you get, I think people don't really take you seriously as an applicant. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to seriously think about this. So I got hired for an amazing job. I like started all the paperwork for my visa I packed up everything in London. I got rid of my contract. Um, I thought that I was going to be in China by November. <laughs> I got my medical. And then the second like big lockdown happened in London in no yeah. like, November. And the embassy closed and has not yet reopened. <laughs> wow. As in the Chinese embassy? The Chinese embassy. Wow. So at that point, I was like, oh, this isn't great. Because I really thought I would be there by the end of 2020. Mm. Um, and that, and uh, like a few of my friends were like, we need a backup plan. And I mean, the thing is I, I had another full-time job, like not a career. I was one of those friends, by the way. <laughs> I said, I but was one Jen's, of those Jen's friends, probably the there just being like, I'm already on Jen, on plan Z guys. Like I don't have another plan. <laughs> no, 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 all, no. And Anna, you weren't like one of those friends. Cause I mean, you, oh, like I had a job, I, was. I had a job, you know what I mean? You like, did. I wasn't, you did. Yeah. I was like, I am working full-time right now anyway so like i'm i'm fine so anyway i i had like just traveled uh to poland in september just for a holiday because i was working like full-time but working completely remotely so i was like why not you know i didn't have to take time off i was able just to 
um, work around my schedule kind of thing. So I had come to Poland and I was like, oh, this is quite nice. It's really inexpensive, pretty easy. So cheap. And I was like, okay, so if it gets to December 10th <laughs> and it looks like I can't go to China, I'm gonna like apply for a residency in, in Europe. Give it two weeks before it <laughs> <Brexit> happens. <laughs> <laughs> it got to December 10th and I was like, oh crap. Like oh, God. <laughs> So I was like, well, I'm I'm just gonna stay here for now. Um and and see what happens. And I so I literally applied for my residency on December 30th. Wow. Um, December 30th wow. seems to be a date that's come up now twice. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of those dates for you that just kind of like dictate your life a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it has definitely. End of the year. I I def I'm someone who always waits till the last possible <laughs> second to do that. Um, and you me. <laughs> I wasn't really planning to stay, but I'd, I'd kind of started applying for other jobs teaching English. Um, I spoke to the, the guy for the company I'm working for now, and you basically have to register yourself as, as um, a sole trader, which is really easy to do here. So he did all the paperwork for me. I had to just take it and file it essentially. Mm. And I'm still waiting on the paperwork to come back. But you know, I like, I think I'm a resident here. <laughs> <laughs> so Jen, where are you? I can't, you've told me so many times, but I can never remember. Okay. When you first came to Poland, where were you staying? Mm-hmm. And where are you now in Poland? Cool. So when I first came, I was just like traveling around. So hotels, Airbnbs, that kind of thing. Um, I came twice. So I came the first time and I traveled for like three weeks. And then I went back to London, packed everything up, you know, like did all, said my goodbyes, all of that kind of stuff. And then I came back over and I thought it was going to be for like a month. So again, it was Airbnbs mostly at that point. Where was, the, where was this? Um, I traveled around a little bit. So oh, okay. So you hadn't really been staying in one place at this point? No, I hadn't yeah. really settled at that point. Um, and then I got furloughed from my like new job, and oh my then God. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. "You get furloughed twice in a year from two different jobs." But I got furloughed, um, and I was like, "Are you kidding?" But it was well, it gives me a time to apply for jobs, reassess. Mm. Um, so I went and I did a program teaching English up on the north coast on the Baltic. Mm-hmm. So I, I went and did that, and that was nice because it gave me some real person experience to put down on my CV. Yeah. So even though it was kind of a program, it was actual. So now I'm not lying. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this. It was like real experience. experience. So um, I did that for a bit, and then I could have stayed, but they were just crazy they would be like oh a teacher said teach this class in 20 minutes and I'm like and also I was a volunteer so I was like no um so I I had really liked a city called Wrocław which is W-R-O-C-L-O-W Wrocław um I just really liked it and I thought you know what that's a nice place to to spend some time normally they have like a massive Christmas market which they had to cancel this year obviously but I thought I had, I had just spent some time here and I, I liked the feel of it. So I thought, okay, let's, let's go there. And again, I was thinking that it would be for not very long because I was supposed to go to Spain in January. 
Mm. And then that got yeah. canceled. Um, so I thought I was going to be here for three weeks. And now it's been uh, four months. Basically. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I, I, I feel like I've been throughout this whole process with you. But to be honest, you did send me a really, really nice picture yesterday of you having a BR with like Beautiful. the European colorful yeah. buildings. And I was like, oh my God, I miss Europe so much. Oh, so, I'd so kill much. to be there right now. Yeah. Oh my God. So, so the winter was the winter was hard. I'm sure it was the same for you yeah, guys. It was just yeah. like bleak. It was so cold. It was the worst winter it's been in like 30 years. Um, wow. And I was living in like a residence hall again because I just thought it was going to be short term. I just needed mm. like a a residential address. Yeah. And then I ended up living there. Um, and I've just moved like two weeks ago. I moved like literally to the town center. Nice. So now all those beautiful buildings are two minutes away and it's it's just really nice so anytime I'm like on a break at work I'll go out for a walk for an hour I love that I love it now just wrapping up with everything now that we're up to date so you moved in France Switzerland Mm -hmm. UK America Australia and Poland that's six countries you've lived in Paris was kind of fake Paris was kind of like an expensive yeah but you still live there you know (laughs) for a long period of time um just count it yeah just count it what would you say is like your favorite place that you've lived oh that's tricky I mean like in some ways I feel like it's London because like that's my entire adult life has been spent in London and you know, like when things open up again, London's never boring. There's always stuff to do. There's museums, yeah. there's culture. Um, I can remember like when, cause Anna and I worked in the city and I can remember like I used to walk across Tower Bridge most mornings to get to work. And I, I would always think like if my 10 year old self could see that I get to do this on my way to work, yeah. you know, it's, it's incredible. But I think like, Somewhere where I felt real, but London's also hard, you know? It's like, hard, yeah. And now that I'm out of it, I'm not really missing it. Mm, <laughs> I know, don't like, blame you. I don't blame you. You lived in London for such a long time as well. That I, I do think that it's what you said. London is a very transitional city and it's, you do get that taste. But then as soon as you leave, you're probably at a stage now, Jen, where you're like, I would, I would go back. But if I didn't, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I just, I think the it's just so expensive. I think that's the mm. thing for me now that, you know, I'm, I'm earning less money than I have in 20 years, but wow. I can live here really well. Even yeah. I'm like, I'm earning minimum wage pretty much. Yeah. Um, but that would be completely unsustainable in London. Like it would be impossible. I could yeah. pay my rent and eat food from little and that would be it for the month and you're saving um, quite a lot now aren't you like I'm saving money on that minimum. yeah you know, like I can go for a beer and it costs two pounds and like yeah. we used to go to this pub near work and I would pay seven pounds ten for a beer <laughs> yeah yeah I know especially in the city so expensive, yeah and I was like that's expensive sure. but you just did it like if I wanted yeah. that beer I would pay seven pounds for it and now that's you know things like that are, are inconceivable so I'm not I'm not missing it in in that respect but that's again I feel like it's where my friends are so it's, it's always going to be hard to be away um yeah. I think Somewhere that I felt really content, though, was definitely in Perth. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think piece? about Australia all the time just because I've got so many friends there and 
I love it. And I don't know when I'll get to visit those people again with everything. Hopefully soon. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully soon. next year. I'm hoping. Yeah. I love Fingers that. Crossed. And then I guess we'll move on to like some more fun questions for you mm. now. So we, we, we wrapped up the story. I'm so it glad took two hours all... to tell that. Sorry. No, I, I, no, don't apologize. Like I knew it would be a long we one. Love it. Like I know that your life has been so interesting. So I'm like, so I didn't know half that stuff about you. So thank you for That's, sharing yeah. that. What's one piece of advice you wish someone told you when moving overseas? I was thinking about this and we've kind of already touched on it, but it would definitely be that if you're going to stay, it's hard, it's stressful, there's a lot of paperwork, and it's really expensive. So you should either save some money or you should have a sponsor in the form of an employer or a parent. (laughs) Yeah, so basically being prepared, like being, yeah. being, you could come over here on a whim, but the best chance to mm-hmm. succeed and actually hack living in another country is going to be yeah. saving our money and making well, sure that you're setting think, yourself up. I think kind of like I didn't go in thinking that it would be a long-term thing. Yeah. Like I really thought that I would go and I would do my six months and I would be content with that and I would, you know, go back home. Um, so I think my advice would be you should go into this experience imagining that you're going to settle there and it's going to become your life. Um, you know, and some people, they can't stay for more than a year or two because of visa restrictions or whatever. But I mean, if you're going to uproot your entire life in your home country and go and visit someplace new, why wouldn't you be open to every experience that allows you to really settle and really become like a citizen of that country yeah like really um, ingrained in that country's culture yeah and obviously like because you're, you're an american as we all know mm-hmm. but <laughs> and obviously there i think there are those like stereotypes of like how people around the world mm-hmm. approach like americans traveling yeah, or like there's a lot of like stereotypes about americans mm-hmm. so like what is one of your biggest like pet peeves about someone mocking your accent as an american well i i think the thing that's hard for me is that i haven't lived there since I was 22, you know, and no one would know that. Like the minute I open my mouth, this is what I sound like. And so I think people automatically make so many assumptions about the type of person I am and my, like my attitude and opinions about politics and, and things like that. And for me, being American isn't, I wouldn't really say that it's even part of my identity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not really something that's shaped or influenced me that much as an adult. Like I've never had a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> um so that I think is is really difficult, especially when I was working um not so much with Kentucky, but a lot of the customers on Trafalgar are mm. are American. And I think the accent just makes them hear things in a certain way where I wasn't trying to be rude or sound rude but I guess I just sound rude I don't know so um but yeah it's just the assumption that people make when those are not necessarily my opinions or my personality or anything like that it's funny that you say that um you don't consider your that being American is in your Mm -hmm. identity because one thing that I say quite a lot or joke around with is like oh, being Australian is basically my personality, according to you. Um, And I joke around, but it's true. And it's like, 
can you not see past the fact that I'm Australian? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it, they are being the nicest, friendliest people and they don't mean any harm by it a lot of the time. Yeah. For me, as an Aussie, I guess, because I guess we have a, a pretty good rep. But it's, um, it is funny. It's almost, it is your identity. And mm-hmm. it's, sometimes it's just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, so there's more to me it. than just my nationality. I know. <laughs> Carrying on from that, like, what, have, what do you find is your biggest, like, most noticeable cultural difference that you found, like, in your travels, I guess, in comparison to America or, like, your home country? I guess one of the, I mean, I, I talk about this quite a lot because I guess one of the main reasons that I've never moved back is that I just feel the work-life balance mm. is completely different in Europe. Um, I don't know about Australia so much. I mean, I was very relaxed there, but I, I didn't have a real job. Um, I got paid $25 an hour to wait tables. So I thought great, isn't great. it? Um, <laughs> sign me up, you know. Um, I got to live at the beach and work part-time, waiting things. It's a dream. Happy table. <laughs> um, I think in the States, the culture is you, I always get this wrong, you work to live. Yeah, no, you, you live to work. You live, you to, live work. to work, like, yeah. People's identities are very much tied up in what their job is. So if I'm like, if I meet people and I'm like, hi, I'm Jen. They're like, hi, I'm Sally. I work for Universal Studios. Like, it's the first thing people tend to tell you about themselves. And I'm like, I don't care. I I don't care. It's because like a lot of the people that I went to university with, they are um, in kind of creative industries. So they work as contractors. And I was, you know, you're a contractor when you're working for Kentucky and Trafalgar. So I would go back, you know, during the off season. And even if they were in between contracts, they couldn't chill, you know, where I'm like, it's Tuesday. It's 30 degrees outside. Like, let's go drink rosé all day. And they were Mm. like, no, because on Friday I might have an interview and I have to go to the DMV and I have to like take my dog to the vet. Like they love, I don't know. It's just this obsession with like Busy and tasks, like running errands. Yeah, they love errands. (laughs) They They love running an errand. (laughs) And they love like being prepared for a professional conversation that may happen in a week. And I I can remember when I was thinking about leaving the road, I said to my friends, I was like, I just want to be a secretary. And one of my friends from uni was like, you can't be a secretary. And I was like, why? Why? (laughs) Like... I'm not interested in climbing this career ladder. It's Mm. this very, like, because I feel like in Europe or, I don't know, in the companies I've I've worked for, like, promotions don't work the same way. There has to be a vacancy. You don't just get a promotion because you've been at a place for a certain amount of time. Yeah, interesting. Where I feel like you can just, I don't know how it is in America, but I feel like if you work at a PR company, then you get this different title. You do, you know, like, yeah, because I work, yeah, because I work at, I work at a PR agency. Because you're literally like just hitting all my points here. <laughs> like, you know me, what the fuck? Um, yeah, so I work at a PR agency and it's like in the UK and it, it's very similar in Australia as well. It's like, if you've worked a certain amount of time in a, at a certain level, mm-hmm. like you're pretty much like, you, there doesn't have to be a vacancy to get into that role. It's yeah. literally just like, it's just like, okay, well you're now at like 
a senior publicist level. Okay, okay, you've been working in this role. We're going to move you up to the account manager. And then like, you just kind of keep yeah. working your way up. But they, but there doesn't have to be vacancies. They just kind of like, you're just yeah. suddenly yeah. in your role. When I was trying to like further my career, so to speak at Flight Center, like I had to wait for someone to leave a managerial position so that I could apply for the managerial position and other people were going to apply for the same job. So there was always mm. like, competition so interesting. um so i think there's like this obsession with like and i'm sure in the uk it's the same thing that kind of not obsession but you know that kind of prioritization with wow. career mobility and titles and and that kind of thing but it's never been part of my life at all yeah and yeah. none of my friends um or not none of them but i mean like not that many of my friends have that I don't have any friend who like loves working more than any other aspect of their lives. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But in America, yeah. I definitely do. Like, 100%. yeah, it's so interesting yeah. about the whole um, perspective around corporate America, and I think it's a trend mm -hmm. that's really starting to come out. Like, I don't know if you guys saw there was a a uh, HR case put together for one of the big banking uh, firms. Yeah, this was in the UK, I think it was. Um, but it was, it was in America. Gold, oh, maybe it was for both. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but it was so interesting how like the junior consultants were literally having to work like a hundred plus mm -hmm. hours a week. Wow. Um, and they were literally working from like seven a.m. to three a.m. Mm -hmm. every day, and it was it just <laughs> broke them to the point where they actually had to put forward this like case. But um, yeah, yeah I think like uh, I think corporate America is really uncovering itself as we move into a day and age of flexible working and working yeah. for yourself, mm -hmm. entrepreneurialism, digital nomads, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. I think this last so year, especially like with COVID sure? and stuff and working from home, it's shifted a lot of companies' perspectives on like yeah. how people work. But I do think like, and it could be just really company specific, but I do find that like, maybe it's because it's so, <laughs> the, the amount of good days that you get in terms of weather-wise in the UK, I feel like a lot of companies are very much like it's sunny outside. So if you want to like wrap up early and go enjoy the sun, yeah, feel absolutely. free to do that. Whereas totally. like in Australia, it's sunny all the time. So they don't give a yeah. fuck. It's like, no, you're going to keep working. <laughs> and that was what I love. Like I can remember those first sunny bank holidays that I had when I first mm. moved to London and I was like, everyone is outside. Oh, it's the best feeling. Like, it's yeah. like it's a fun. drug. Is it, Jen, yeah. this is what you said to me, isn't it? What did you say? You put it really well the other day. What did you say to me? Oh, it was that meme I saw where it was like, you think that seasonal depression is fake until it's suddenly <laughs> 20 degrees in March and you feel like you're not Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, so true. Yes. You're but like, oh, crack because of the sun. Yeah. But I love but that I, culture of everyone goes outside to have their lunch and everyone yeah, really does take time everyone pours yeah. out onto the sidewalks and you know has their drinks and their coffee and everything outside no i think I it's like so much. true work-life balance is like mm -hmm. so important and i think we're really really lucky to be living in countries where that exists um yeah. and it's yeah. nice that you mentioned that because it's like it is a reality check it definitely is mm -hmm. a reality check for someone like yourself even though you haven't lived in america for a long time you i mean your family lives there you know mm -hmm. people that live there so I think we can all be very grateful that um, that we get this this time off yeah. for sure. All right, so Jen, last question for you. Best question. Best one. I know you've already thought about this. I don't have a good answer to this one, but go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, right. We are also interested in this one, I'm just saying, because like our two guests that we've had on so far on this podcast have also been from Brisbane. So we've just yeah, had like the same hometown. Like, okay. Okay. I'm curious what their answers were afterwards. If your hometown was a food mm -hmm. or a meal, what would it be and why? 
Okay, so I, I thought about this because um, as I mentioned earlier, I would I would say that I kind of have two hometowns. I've got San Diego <clears throat> and then I've got this, this little town in, in Alabama as well. And I think I'm gonna choose um, Alabama because it's it's really, really rich in cuisine in in the South. Like that's one mm. thing that they do. Oh yes. Well. Soul yes. food. Yeah. So this, the town that I grew up in, um, it's one of the only places in the world where there's like a bay and there's some weird phenomenon with the tides where the, all the sea fish, sea fish, seafood, all the fish and seafood will beach themselves because they run out of oxygen. Wow. And, you know, people who are into fishing and stuff, they kind of know when it's going to happen. So they'll go down and, and watch. And so everyone in, in the town will come with like eskies and they'll get crabs and prawns wow. and snapper and all this stuff. And so for like weeks, when we were kids, you'd have to like go to someone's house and just help them shell prawns <laughs> like all day because they'd have wow. like buckets of it. Um, and so I think if my town was, my hometown was a food, it would be seafood gumbo. Um, Yum. Yum. I love seafood gumbo. Yeah. Because of this kind of link with, um, these grunion runs, which is this like phenomenon that we call them. And just the memories of, you know, like I say, having to go in and prawn, shell prawns and stuff as a kid. But also I think that like gumbo has so many different components to it. So if you just look at it, it doesn't look that interesting. It just looks like soup, but you know, it's got a lot of texture. It's got a lot of different components to it. It's a little bit spicy. It's quite um, quirky. Uh, and that Love very it. much embodies the town that I grew up in. It has the veneer of this Southern town, but everyone's like a crazy character. <laughs> <laughs> What is the name of the town, Jen? If you don't Fair Hope. F-A-I-R-H-O-P-E. You should go there. Yeah, it's really so if you If you ever want to go see the seafood beach itself, Fair Hope is the place to go. Definitely. Yeah. That's amazing, Jen. I really like <laughs> that. that. I, I didn't know that about you. And that's super <laughs> interesting. I've never heard of this phenomenon happening. So um, I'm going to have to Google there? it. Somewhere like in Thailand or something, maybe? There's a few wow. places. Maybe somewhere in India. Like there's a few places in the world. But... Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much for joining us, Jen, and sharing your story. I hope it wasn't too long. No, it was perfect. It was so good to have, like, it was so good to have a different perspective and also have a voice that wasn't Australian. I'm pretty sure all of our listeners are probably grateful that there's a new accent on this show. Yeah, but not only that, it's like, I always consider you as, like, the most free-spirited, independent person Mm. I know. And just by your experience and learning about, about you today, it just shows, like, how number one how you don't have to conform to society's rules of Mm -hmm. how you want to live your life and you taught me that a lot about Mm -hmm. that even in our in private conversations but number two like just be free and like live your life the way you want to live it if you want to go and travel to all these amazing countries just go and do it and it really gives you so much more like a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience that you don't need to be going into corporate things if you don't want to do that and you don't need to be doing all these things if you don't want to do it thank you very much thank you jen it was so great to meet you and to hear yeah you too (laughs) one day soon we'll be in clapham having a Uh. time 
And that is a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much to everyone who listened all the way through. I know this was a long one, but I hope you found it really insightful and totally worth it. As always, please follow our Instagram at Don't Mock My Accent. Feel free to DM us, comment, reach out. We're here to start a community and be as supportive as we possibly can. So we look forward to speaking with you and we will see you next week. Have a great week. Bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.